So we're going to have a conversation today with Jason about his experiences and uh, give him a chance to share his wisdom with you. I want to start with your experiences helping companies scale disruptive technologies, something you have some expertise in. Often these technologies, especially in today's environment, experience just explosive growth. Mm -hmm. And I'd like your comments on that explosive growth and how do you build a sustainable company that's growing at such a fast pace? So I was at Amazon. Uh, I joined when it was, let's see, early, early 99. So it was about a, it was just becoming about a billion dollar business. I think I was a 300th employee in Seattle. I think there's more than that now. Uh, we were, we were in like these temporary offices in the key tower at the time. But uh, anyways, uh, and, and then I stayed there for about 11 and a half years. Uh, we went to, I think when I left, we were about 50 billion. The first few years I was there, we were Amazon.com because we were making, <laughs> making things up, they said. Um, that's when I guess I learned my accounting that we used to group on. Um, and then we were also Amazon.org because we were like the world's biggest nonprofit. Uh, at least that's what Microsoft always called us, uh, my friends at Microsoft. And then, uh, anyways, so, um, you know, now obviously it's, it's, it's quite a, uh, a well-known and I think reputable company. I went to Groupon where we went in about four years, we went from about 700 million to about 7 billion in sales. So it grew about 10 X over four years. Uh, and we'll maybe talk more about that. Uh, I went to open door where we went from about 4 billion, 400 million to 4 billion in about two and a half years. Uh, then it Splunk software. So things don't go quite as quite as qu quickly. Uh, went from about 1.8 billion to 3.6 billion over about three and a half years. Uh, so that's kind of the, the context of where my experience comes from. I, I think to the base of your question, like, you know, what is it that you have to think about when you think about these high growth companies and scaling and kind of what are the, the learnings. And just to be clear, when I say learnings, that generally means I probably somewhere made some sort of mistake. And then, you know, I was taught early on, you can make almost any mistake once, but probably not twice. And so learnings are hopefully you make a mistake once and then you don't do it again and that's your learning. But it ended up becoming the cautionary tale for, you know, at that point, the CEOs of Airbnb and Uber and a bunch of these other fast growth companies, they had come and met with us a few times and they're like, wow, you know, thank you for sharing all these lessons. We'll make sure we don't do what you did. And it was like, okay, <laughs> glad we could help. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it ended up, it ended up being, I think just, a you know, ended up being a bit of a benchmark on here's what high, these high growth companies that just, we were one of the early ones, but a bunch of others then mm -hmm. came about that went through the same things. They can now say, okay. Now we know what happens if you don't really get your arms around some of these different things. I don't know if you're at the right age, but Groupon was really hot. Everyone bought a bunch of these, you know, they were, we, we, we actually hired, we had a team from Second City. In fact, two people that went on to Saturday Night Live were on the team that would write the copy. And they were just really hilarious, kind of smart ass things. And you, you, you just see it and you're like, I gotta buy, this is just too good. It's like 20 bucks, I'll buy it. So people bought all these Groupons. And, and then after a while you realize, wait a sec, I have, I have like 20 Groupons in here. I, they all expire in the next couple months. And, you know, and of course we're already public. And, and then I remember the CEO coming to my office going, we've got a huge issue. These people aren't using the Groupons fast enough. We have to create an exchange program. And I was like, you can't exchange a Groupon. That messes up all the RevRec. He's like, well, I don't care. We got to fix it. And I was like, we just went public a couple months ago. I can't go change RevRec. That's not possible. And then anyway, so then we started coming up with like, these were like fundamental business issues that if you were private, you would have said, of course, we have to change the value proposition to allow the customer to make sure they're going to get some value instead of doing what was required to make sure you satisfied the, the various accounting requirements. And so that's just another example of like, you really need to understand product market fit. You really need to understand exactly what the value proposition is and that it's durable. It doesn't need to change. 
because otherwise you do want, don't want to put yourself in a box where you're having to use the accounting or you know, the, the wrong reasons to make the decision. You mentioned that Groupon grew so quickly across countries, across mm -hmm. languages, across currencies, across yep. regulatory environments. And Amazon International had the same sort of exposure, yep. right? So yep. can you share a little bit about what it's like to plan from a budget or financial planning standpoint when you're forecasting across ethnicities, cultures, yep. currencies, regulatory environments, inflation rates, those kind of things? So um, starting from the Amazon experience, so just maybe a little bit of experience uh, or background. Um, when, I, when I joined Amazon in 99, um, this, this should have been an example of how crazy it was going to be, but I, I was leaving Arthur Anderson at that point, the largest, most respected uh, professional services firm in the world. So I go to Amazon and the day before I start, the CFO calls and said, hey, yeah, do you, you speak German? I was like, no. Uh, do you... Do you, uh, do, you, uh, you know, do you do you have a passport? I was like, actually, I don't. I, I've never I've been to <laughs> Vancouver and I've been to Tijuana. She's like, would you be willing to go to Germany for a month? We just launched it. And honestly, we can't even count cash. And the business is a million dollars is tiny. And we need you to help. So, anyway, so I go to Germany. I spent uh, six months there, uh, then went back to the US, went back to Germany again um, five years later. Uh, but now instead of being a million dollar business, it's now a billion dollar business. And now it's dealing with a bunch of scaling issues and we have problems with payment methods because the way Amazon started, like a lot of U.S. multinationals is we'll just take the U.S. business and then we'll just drop it into mm -hmm. Germany and the U.K. and whatnot. And even though 80% of commerce is done on direct debit, we won't offer direct debit. Customers will be fine. And of course, you know, then I go over and then as the American who's, you know, the, the, the lifeline to the U.S., they basically tie me down and are like, you have to get us, you know, direct debit. You have to get us, you know, all, the, you know, all these different things that were kind of culturally unique to Germany. Mm -hmm. From there, I went to uh, China uh, when Amazon entered in the China business in 2006, 5, 6. And then I was uh, CFO of Asia. So I spent time in, I lived in Tokyo and Beijing. So spent a year or so doing that, and then I was CFO of International. And so, um, so all those experiences, basically what, they, what, what we learned, and every company is a little bit different, but what we basically learned is almost every country, you would go in there and you would talk about what's unique about the country, and they would say, oh, we're so different. We're so much, you know, incredibly different. And then eventually, and we'd have to then, then you'd go and present to Bezos, and then it would always go poorly because it basically came down to, he, you might have heard them, he said this many times before, but are you telling me that customers want to pay a higher price? Are you telling me that customers want slower delivery? Or are you telling me they want less selection? Because is that what's different about your country? And then you know, so basically it was like, no, you really want the same basic fundamental value proposition. You might change your payment methods a little bit. You might have slightly different delivery mechanisms. Maybe you deliver to uh, an in-store pickup versus to a door, or maybe, you know, there's just other little, like fairly, uh, I'd say nuanced differences. Uh, but for the most part, it's pretty much the same value proposition, with two exceptions, India and China. <laughs> I want to talk about some of the unique leaders that you've worked with. So you've worked with some visionaries, you've worked <clears throat> with some unique personalities. Can you share some of those experiences and what you've learned from them, both positive and negative? I'll give uh, maybe an example of each. Okay. Uh, or, or maybe not, it's not so much <clears throat> negative, it's maybe um, an example of maybe one of the most like uh, influential and most motivating and probably most uh, just, just just like one of the most uh, impactful people I'd ever been around. And that maybe not that surprising would be Jeff Bezos. I spent you know, thousands of hours in meetings at Amazon over 10 years because um, I, I was up pretty early. And so I felt like um, 
just the culture of kind of how he set up a, a, a really a company that was so based, uh, so much based on just kind of the primary approaches of, of curiosity, humility, and and perseverance. And and those, you know, like I think I, I, I read tons of books and I always see these things like do this, do that, and whatever. And, and uh, all that stuff is really good and it's fun to read and whatnot, but like you actually have to live it. And then when you live it repeatedly and over a number of years, it starts to really become hard-grained into the culture. And then it also starts to become hard-grained into how you operate. And that was, that was just, I, I watched how he, how the entire company would work through things. And I, I, I was there when we switched from PowerPoints to narratives as I think mm -hmm. it's been covered by many people, but, but at the end of the day, the, the, I don't know if I've seen too many people actually cover the, what he really, really wanted to do early on, but early on he wouldn't have one-on-ones with any of his management team, which people would say like, that's horrible. That's a horrible manager. And you'd be like, well, no, because when I have a really interesting discussion with one person, how do I take all the interesting tidbits and share it with everyone else that should be affected? This one is for Jason. How do you validate your product market fit? Do you pivot your product strategy along the way? And if yes, how frequently do you make big product strategy adjustment? Um, I mean, it's a, that's a, it's a great question. And I, to give a really good answer, probably to require a lot more back and forth. But I, I, I my experience was um, you would look at the aspects of product market fit, you know, so if it's uh, like conversion would be a typical, if you're in an e-commerce site, it would be like, how, you know, what is the product you're selling? What's the conversion that you're getting? And is it, you know, is it a work in such a way that your overall conversion, your cost of acquiring a customer and your cost of, of, um, of whatever other variable costs are, are less than what you're going to get from the product that you're offering, whether it's a, e-commerce product or even a, whether it's a, a delivery product, whatever. And so I think those ones are pretty easy. So then you're basically just doing like funnel analysis and figuring out where are we dropping, I mean, marketing spending a bunch of money and I'm kind of figuring out where are they falling out of the funnel and is it, you know, when I get to the end customers, does it make sense? And then do I have a retention level that's high enough to where when I factor in that uh, reacquisition cost, does it still make sense? Please join me in thanking Jason Chai. <laughs> Thank you.